Well, good morning. Uh, you, you heard Victor, he, he prayed that it wouldn't be an academic exercise. So, uh, I'm getting ready for classes to start again. And so that's kind of the thing I have to then get ready for academic exercises again. So we are finishing up. Uh, talking about powering up and uh, really looking at the dangers of, of burning out. Uh, that uh, we would so focus on work that uh, that becomes the priority and uh, to the point that we don't want to <laughs> do it anymore. Uh, one thing that, uh, that occurs to me that, that burnout isn't just, uh, in regard to work, uh, it happens at, uh, in, in church, it happens in, uh, different hobbies and activities and things like that. Uh, Paul addressed the issue in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica. And uh, so I'm going to start there, 2 Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 6. And this is what Paul wrote. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would keep away from the brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you receive, sorry, for you yourselves know how you want to imitate us. Because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day. And we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we didn't have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. And so kind of the, this first way he talks about it is, look, there's some people that aren't working hard enough. He says, you had an example. You were supposed to do like we do. And when we were there, we, we didn't kind of rest on your hospitality, even though we had a right to, right? We're already working is the way he says it. He says, not only that, but we set an example. We worked really hard. We didn't claim something that we didn't think we had a right to. And, and the reason we did it is so that we, you would have this example that you then knew what you were supposed to do. Paul set the example by being a hard worker. Not only was he an apostle, right? That's the, the fancy Greek word that basically just means missionary. Paul was a missionary, and so he kind of had that, but, but he didn't just say, you know, I'm a missionary and so I should, should sustain my own living by doing that. He set the example for them that they should be working hard by also being a tent maker. 
which uh, we use that as a phrase today when someone is doing ministry but working in another way to support doing ministry. And, and I know a lot of you uh, who work other jobs and then also work in ministry, as, as I do. But he literally made tents. I think about that all the time. Like, like, how do you do that? Right? So there's canvas and, and needle and thread and, you know, cut that pole that's long. And, you know, people need tents apparently. And that was his thing. And it was good enough that he could live off it as he supported his own ministry. But in the midst of that, there was a problem in this church in Thessalonica because even though he had set the example, there were some that weren't working hard so much so that he included it in his letter, right? It wasn't just, well, I kind of noticed this and I'm going to mention it next time I see you. It's, it's that he wrote it in the letter. Some of you just aren't working hard. You're, you're, you're counting on the hospitality of others and not putting enough effort into it. He specifically says this. He says that there are some that aren't busy at work. In fact, instead, they're busy bodies. You guys probably are aware of this. That when we don't have enough work, we have a tendency to fill our time with wrong stuff. I put wrong stuff in, in quotes on purpose, because wrong stuff could be lots of different things. Wrong stuff might be just a, a kind, euphemistic way of saying sin, right? That, that when you're not busy enough, you don't have enough to do, that you occupy yourself with sin, right? Other things become a priority. It's why Paul says busybodies, because they're, they're busy, uh, trying to fill up their time and, and it might be gossip. It it might be other forms of sin that are an issue. He feels he needs to address this in the church because of that. Trying to fill the time with wrong, good stuff might be an issue as well. Too much work, too much vacation. Right? The saying that too much of a good thing is still too much. Remember hearing that when I was a kid going, but not ice cream. And then I went, no, wait, you could drown in ice cream. Literally. No, too much is literally too much by definition of the phrase. It could be when the good thing went from being a blessing from God and instead becomes an idol to replace God. Right? That's when it becomes too much. So working hard and not letting work become an idol takes effort. It's something you have to work at, right? You have to consciously, intentionally decide, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to set a schedule. I'm going to have good habits and work at it, but not to uh, make it become the idol a sense of pride, something that you you celebrate. Look how hard I work. It's why I stopped at verse 12, but verse 13 is really important as well. He says, as for you brothers, do not grow weary of doing good. 
right? There's this sense that you could do so much good and, and kind of miss out on the joy of being able to work. That you would work so hard that you, you, you miss it and you grow tired then of doing good. We call that burnout, right? That you, you work so hard at it that you're, you're like become numb to it. And so I have four keys to avoiding burnout, right? That, that if you're, you're there, you're like, man, I'm on the verge of this. Then, then maybe these are some things that you could, could lean on. First of all, you have a goal to work toward, right? So you're not just going to work day in and day out, going through the motions, just doing it with no goal in mind other than, well, I get paid and, and Friday comes, right? Then maybe that's your goal. Uh, and so you don't want to just work without end without understanding what's important. And so you might think about it this way. Any project of size must be broken down into manageable pieces, right? Like the, the proverb, how do you eat an elephant? One piece at a time, right? You can't eat the whole elephant, but you got to break it into parts. What a horrible saying. <laughs> I've never tasted elephant, so I couldn't say, but it doesn't sound good. So, so if you're working a job and, and you know that, that it's this big monolithic thing, I'm going to get a job at a certain age. I'm going to work until I retire and then I'm going to, to, to be retired. That's okay. That's too big, too unmanageable. You got to break it into goals that are manageable. So what is the goal of this week? Right? What is your goal? It's Sunday. That's the first day of the week. What's your goal this week? What are you intending to do this week to better yourself, to serve God, to contribute to the church, to, to help work toward the mission of spreading the gospel? What is your goal? What is the purpose of your job? To your schooling, to your life, right? So, so those are big things, but we can break them into smaller chunks that we can work with. Paul mentions the growing weary of doing good to the church in Galatia as well. Chapter 6, starting in verse 9, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are in the household of faith. So he, he kind of breaks it up. He says, look, it's easy to grow weary of doing good because you're working hard at it and you keep at it. He says, but if you stick with it, then you'll reap. Uh, it, it's a, a metaphor that I think we know well, right? That it has to do with, with farming. That when you work at it and you have to put all the effort into planting and weeding and watering and and, and then God makes it grow, and then you're able to step in and reap a harvest. We don't live, at least in Southern California, we don't live where, where the plants just grow up with food on them in the ground. It takes work. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of water that we have to bring in. And so 
the only way to reap is to put in work and effort. So you have to break that up then into manageable chunks. So how do we keep from being distracted and losing sight of that? It requires sticking with it. But what you have to stick with is learned right behavior, right? That, that it's habits of sticking with it, of doing good, of doing what is right, of what the Bible calls righteousness. And so these are learned and practiced behaviors. Righteous, by the way, is just what the Bible refers to being right with God. And it's important that we practice those. So how do we determine what these goals are? Right? What, what should they be? What is my goal for the week or the month or the year? What am I trying to accomplish? The, uh, in his Gospel Coalition article, Paul Worcester says that there are three questions you should ask in setting goals that honor God. These, these were helpful to me. Uh, number one, do I want to glorify God or glorify myself? Now, this is a hard one. And in fact, in the article, he goes on to explain that, that it's easy to go, well, I'm trying to glorify God. But the more he looks into it, the more he realizes, yeah, this is actually something that will really glorify me. And that's the goal. Now, now what ends up happening when you're focused on God and you're glorifying him, that it's really easy that people pat you on the back and encourage you and support you, right? I mean, that's what the church is about. So that happens. If that's your intention and your goal, that's a problem. My, my son, uh, when he was in middle school, he was in the spelling bee. And I don't know where he learned to spell. It wasn't from me. I know that. Um, so he was in the spelling bee. I went, I showed up. It's in the, the library. And, and every time he gets up, I'm nervous because they're giving him words. And I go, I don't know how to spell this. Like, would it be okay if I, I Googled that word right now? And no, he did it. He won. And so then he goes on to the district and, and we're kind of excited about this. And, and so he was talking in his Sunday school class and the teacher asked him about it. And he, afterward he goes, you know, she, she asked me if I wanted to win and I did. And then she asked Why? And that was a hard thing for him to deal with. And this is what it comes back to. Why do you want to win? Why do you want to be successful? Is it very much so that you can point a lot of fingers at yourself and say, it's all about me? Or do, do you really want a platform in which you could point to God and say, this is what God is doing? Uh, if we're honest... At least some measure is both. But the goal would be much more. I, I'm, I'm wanting to do this for the Lord. And I need to acknowledge the times when I did it for me. Number two, does it help me accomplish my mission? Right? If I'm setting a goal, what is my mission? We're going to talk about that in a minute. 
as far as you as a, a believer and the church as a whole, but, but does it help me accomplish that mission? If I'm just setting a goal that's, that's arbitrary, then that's a problem. And then number three, how will I stay consistent, right? If I set a goal, how do I keep working at it and stay consistent? Uh, one of the things I find uh, when I'm working with my students, I, I teach primarily freshmen. So we're, uh, we're about a month out from the start of class. And so I'll have 300 freshmen for the most part in my classes right after Labor Day. And this is what I'll tell them, right? That, that it has to be a, the learned behaviors of, of doing it, sticking with it, not getting distracted, all of these kinds of things. So how are you then, if you're going to set a goal, how are you going to stay consistent? Things like regular quiet time, right? Prayer, scripture reading, uh, being consistent with in the church, serving, uh, spending time with other believers, encouraging them and being encouraged, making sure I have a, a, a access to share my faith with non-believers. You see, it's not enough to have good intentions. You have to make a plan in how you're going to do it. And who's going to help hold you accountable to that? So your goals should line up with the mission that you're on, right? So you're going to set those goals. That was number one. Number two, you're going to make God's plan for your life the priority, right? That God has a plan for your life. It's not an accident. You are here for a reason. I don't just mean here this morning. I mean on this planet. That every one of us are here on the planet for a purpose. It's a God-given purpose. By the way, this is earth-shattering for a lot of people. It was for me. As a, a college student hearing the gospel for the first time and reading scripture and understanding that, that my life wasn't an accident. I wasn't, right? I'd be careful you're not an accident regardless of what your parents might have mentioned. Uh, no, I, I, am, I am here for a reason. And more than regardless of what my, my parents intended or anyone else, God intended for me to be here and you. And so because of that, he has a purpose and a plan for your life. Well, that's good news. And the purpose isn't based on what you want or your desires. Now, thankfully, in God's graciousness, they, they often line up. The thing you want to do most lines up with God's plan because that's kind of how he wires us. And so I'm grateful for that. But it's not based on that, right? Uh, it's based on the Lord's plan for your life. Probably a, a verse you're very familiar with, Jeremiah 29, 11. God specifically telling Jeremiah this, but I think we can extrapolate some information about us. He says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and hope. 
God's plan for your life is for your good. As he told Jeremiah, for welfare, future, and hope. Not evil, right? And so there are are challenges that have gone on in your life and maybe going on right now. But but his plan is to use those, though, for his purpose in your welfare. Notice how this is not the same as kind of what our, our, our nation is founded on. I was thinking about that, how different that was than the Declaration of Independence. In the Declaration of Independence, uh, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Well, there you go. The Declaration of Independence says you have a right to pursue happiness, but God's purpose for your life is not to make you happy. It is to make you holy. And those are very different things. And because of that, we have a responsibility then to seek his will. Find out what his purpose is and to do it. Number three, avoiding burnout, focusing more on God and less on self. That is tough. Because the focus of our culture is self. The greatest good in our society is this perceived self-autonomy, right? That it's, it's all about me. And if it's good for me, then it must be good. If it's what I want, then it's good. And so that's not what it's about. Thinking about it this way, the, the danger of social media is that it's not social at all. It's not about connecting. It is very much about look at me, looking at you, right? That, that's what it's about. And that's not social. And then it, that it, it becomes this source that, that reinforces this idea that maybe my life is all about me. Instead, it's not. We focus on God more. We need to learn from John the Baptist. When John was asked about his ministry, now that, well, Jesus was there, Jesus was more and more popular. When John was asked about it, he responded, he must increase and I must decrease. Does that mean that John had no value? Of course not. You can't talk about the birth of Jesus and his, his, the start of his ministry without talking about John the Baptist, right? Not just because they were family, they were cousins on his mom's side, but you can't get away from that, right? It wasn't that though. It was very much regardless of what was going on in John's life. He wanted to continually point toward Jesus. What should our Christian walk look like? If we're going to continually point toward Jesus, 
What does it look like? If we're focusing more on him and less on ourselves. Peter, in his first letter to the church, he he wrote about Christians. He gave this description in verse 9 of chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession that may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You might say, well, that's all about the people, right? That's not the way I read it. I read it very much as, you know, there are a people of his possession. Their purpose is to proclaim his excellencies. They are God's people. This definition, this picture is very much about what it means to be a Christian in terms of who God is and what he has done. And then number four, always working toward the mission you have been given. All right, here it is. You've been given a mission, right? There might be a specific uh, avenue by which you utilize to accomplish this mission, right? It will be the place where you work and the place where you go to school and the place where you live and the, the neighborhood and, and those that you have uh, connections with. But you have a mission and you're going to utilize those things to accomplish that mission. The church was commissioned by Jesus for a specific purpose. And every Christian then has that same mission. Shouldn't be a surprise. It's in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if we take that mission seriously, right? That this is the mission of the church and every believer then to participate in it. If we take this seriously, And then you go back through the things we've been talking about, right? Setting goals. Well, how are the goals that you have set for your life? How do they fit in with this mission? Right? The, the, the job that you have or the job that you want to have, where you want to live, the time that you're going to spend doing certain things. How are you going to utilize those to accomplish this mission? I was, I was asked this week in an interview, uh, what things are you studying so you stay current so that you're better equipped to teach and to communicate the gospel? I went, Wow. Now, thankfully, I had some answers, right? Because it's not good to be in an interview where you don't have answers to stuff like that. Uh, but afterward, I had to go back through and go, okay, did I, 
do I really have those things? Right? Am I constantly looking at how am I growing and maturing in my faith, gaining skills and knowledge so that I am better equipped to communicate the gospel, to train people to grow in their faith? And, and of course, I had to say and teach the math because I had to learn that too. You see, regardless of what it is, the, the, the things that I do, the time that I spend, where I go, those things need to help me grow as I accomplish the mission God has called me to. All right, so here's the hard part. We need to look at it and decide, are we doing this? Right? So, so as believers, are we doing this? As individuals, are we doing this? As a church, are we doing this? Right? So the leadership, you, you look at it and go, are we doing what God has called us to? Or are we just doing things to occupy our time? Or are we working toward the mission God has called us to? Right? Am I, am I spending time trying to build relationships with people who, who need to hear about Jesus? Or am I just spending time? And given the opportunity, am I, am I using that opportunity to let people know what God has done for them? I have some next steps for you today, and they fit right in with that. Uh, first of all, I'm going to look at how I spend my time. Make changes if I need to. Right? How am I spending my time? It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have downtime. That's what we just talked about. It's how do we avoid burnout? Well, you're going to need a break sometimes. Since this is part three in part one, that's what we talked about. You need the Sabbath rest. You need the time off. You need a time to focus and rejuvenate, to encourage and be encouraged. Do I need to make some changes? The second one, uh, I need to look at the purpose of why I do what I do. Be honest. You need to be honest with yourself and honest with God, but, but realize God's not surprised, right? You're not going to tell God something and him go, man, I didn't know that. No, you need to articulate it though, because it's really important to do so. Because once you acknowledge why you're doing what you're doing, you can take steps to make changes if you need to. And then the third one there, I'm going to pray through the Great Commission, right? That's that Matthew 28, 19 through 20. I need to pray through that. I need to take that seriously. If this is the mission, it was the, the last thing that Jesus told the church. He says, look, all authority under heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. That's sure makes this important and serious. It's kind of like when I see my kids and they're getting in the car, the last thing I say every single time, drive carefully, let me know when you get there, right? All those things. This is what Jesus is doing. He goes, look, okay, I'm leaving. You've got work to do. Here it is. Make disciples. Take it seriously. So I need to pray through the Great Commission and how can I make, uh, take my mission more seriously? 
right? Are there changes I need to make? Are there steps I need to take in order to honor God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are, we are grateful that uh, Paul set the example of how to work hard, of how to utilize the resources you have given us. Uh, he gave us that example by being a tent maker. Father, my, my prayer, that as we look at what uh, steps we need to take, to take the Great Commission seriously, the goals we need to put in place so that we're not overwhelmed. But instead, what do I need to do this week, this month, this year, so that I am better equipped to work toward the purpose you have called us? Father, we're so grateful. We're grateful for your love for each one of us. That you loved us so much, you sent your son to die on the cross that we might believe in him and be saved. Help us grow an understanding of what that means. That we will continue to trust you as we grow in faith and serve you better every day. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.